From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Wade Menezes is in the house. We're talking faith, family, and fellowship. If you've got a question for Father, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 12052712985 you can always send us an email that email address is openline at ewtn.com i'm jack williams michael mccall producing the program your call screener is matt gubensky and jeff burson handling our social media efforts so if you're watching us on youtube or facebook live you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every single Tuesday, Father Wade Menezes, how are you? I'm doing great, Jack. Thank you so much for asking. And hello to all of you over there in Irondale, where I will be next Tuesday, God willing. Hope to be in studio with you all next Tuesday. Uh, things are going well. I'm back here at the house, here at the Fathers of Mercy, what we affectionately call the Generalate. So I'm broadcasting here from the Good Fathers uh, residence here today. Uh, today I want to talk about how uh, Sundays are important, right, and how we give them to God, especially when we consider Sunday the little Easter, right, throughout the rest of the year, apart from Easter Sunday itself. We call Sunday the little Easter. So I want to talk about today giving Sundays to God in a very special way, and do, ways we can do that according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me give those numbers out real quick and let you give you a chance to take a little sip of water there. Again, 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, wide-open phone lines at 833-288-3986. Now back to the uh, recomposed Father Wade Menezes. Hopefully so, my goodness. Um, that rarely happens to me, too. <laughs> so a note on giving Sundays to God, we call Sunday the Little Easter. And so we're in the Easter season right now, so what better time to focus on what the Catechism tells us about giving Sundays to God and treating Sundays as a holy day. We know that every Sunday is a holy day of obligation, but there's four main categories that the Church exhorts us uh, to, to focus on when it comes to Sundays. Uh, God intended Sundays, the Catechism tells us, as days of worship, rest, joy, and charity. Those four main categories right there. Uh, he intended Sundays, again, to be days of worship, rest, joy, and charity for his people. In today's world, however, it can be challenging to keep holy the Lord's Day, right? But uh, these suggestions I'd like to make, uh, and others like them, will help one recapture your Sundays for God. So, regarding worship, uh, Mass is a direct encounter with Almighty God. Uh, we are called to make it the center and highlight of, of our Sunday, so I exhort you to do the same. Again, every Sunday is a 
a holy day of obligation, not because we fear God, but precisely because we love Him, and we want to fulfill the first three of the Ten Commandments, which have to do with love of God. The remaining seven have to do with love of neighbor. So prepare yourself to receive Jesus in the Eucharist by going to confession regularly each month, and sharpening your conscience so as to avoid sin, and going to Mass faithfully every Sunday. One of the best ways to honor God is to respond to His love with your own love back at him. Uh, Regarding rest, the second category of the four, make Sunday different from the rest of the week, right? For example, avoid unnecessary servile labor on Sundays. Try to finish errands and chores, for example, by sundown on Saturday evening. Uh, Serve leftovers or easily prepared meals uh, on paper plates even to minimize washing and cleanup afterwards. Uh, Limit screen time on television and social media, for example, like online shopping or wasteful surfing of the web. Uh, Set all that stuff aside on Sundays and spend time uh, resting more, uh, having quality time with loved ones, etc. Regarding joy, the third category from the Catechism, God rested on the seventh day and delighted in his creation, according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 through chapter 2, verse 2. Find time then on Sundays to do something that brings you joy. For example, spending time with loved ones, as I just said, uh, taking a nature walk, working on a hobby that you enjoy, or reading a good book. Uh, Regarding charity, uh, the fourth and final category that the Catechism exhorts us to treat Sunday with, uh, traditionally charitable works are performed on the Lord's Day, so consider putting some extra money, for example, in the offertory basket for the poor at church, or into the offertory box for the poor at church, or donating food or clothes to a shelter or local birthright center, or visiting a lonely neighbor or taking them food. Don't forget, praying for others and treating them with kindness is a much-needed act of charity that we can do every day, uh, but especially on the Lord's Day, and especially in today's day and age. Now, the Catechism of the Catholic Church sums all of these four areas up by stating the following. Sunday is a day of grace and rest from work. Number 2184 of the Catechism states, quote, Just as God rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done, human life has a rhythm of work and rest. The institution of the Lord's Day helps everyone enjoy adequate rest and leisure to cultivate their familial, cultural, social, and religious lives. So we can look at those four categories, the familial, meaning of the family, the cultural, the social, and the religious, the enforced subsets of those four primary categories that I just mentioned, uh, worship, joy, rest, and charity. Number 2185 continues, Jack of the Catechism, on Sundays and other holy days of obligation then, the faithful are to refrain from engaging in work or activities that hinder the worship owed to God that is to say, worship properly speaking, and the joy, joy properly speaking, proper to the Lord's Day, and the performance of works of mercy, that is charitable works, and the appropriate relaxation of both mind and body. That's the rest category, huh? Family needs or important social services can legitimately excuse from the obligation of Sunday rest, the Church teaches in number 2185 of the Universal Catechism. The faithful should see to it that legitimate excuses do not lead to habits right? Prejudicial to religion, family life, and health, and thus continue on a regular basis habitually in a negative way to hinder the worship, the rest, the joy, and the charity that the Church wants us to focus on uh, familial, uh, familially, culturally, socially, 
and religiously. So this is just a guide. Uh, these, these areas in the Universal Catechism are found in their completion in uh, Catechism number 2174 through 2195. That's only 22 numbered paragraphs. It'd be a great idea to make that a, a meditation, maybe a two-day meditation. Take 11 numbered paragraphs one day and the remaining 11 the other day. Again, numbers 2174 through 2195 in a heading titled The Lord's Day, which breaks it down, for example, example, uh, the Sunday obligation and a day of grace and rest from work. Um, that's a subset found within those numbered categories. Uh, those specifically are number 2180 through 2188. So you can go back and listen to the podcast if you don't have a pen and paper on you right now and write down these numbered paragraphs. Again, 2174 through 2195. Specifically, what I've kicked off today with our springboard uh, regarding the Sunday obligation and a day of grace and rest from work and for joy and charity uh, are numbers 2180 and 20 through 2188 within that section. You know, and Father Mitch Pacwa recently said on one of his shows, it was the Wednesday Night Live, he says, you know, people who go to church regularly, Jack, live an average of five years longer than people who don't, right? So how about that? So regarding healthy worship, right? Recent medical studies even reveal that people who attend church at least weekly have longer life expectancies and fewer complications from illnesses or surgeries than non-churchgoers. Going to church may not protect us from health crises, true enough, but it does help us to cope with them, and I think that's important. Uh, and then uh, be sure to empty and fill, I like to say, when I'm preaching to my congregations. There are times in our lives when we have to empty our minds of negativity so God can replace it with his peace and joy, right? Each day, then, take time to rid yourself of any anger, fear, jealousy, bitterness, and self-pity, for example, playing the victim card, right? Uh, then look for God's gifts of peace, wisdom, friendship, forgiveness, and love. And if we do this faithfully on Sundays, it naturally... Uh, rolls over to the other days of the week, and I think that's important. So again, healthy worship, be sure to empty and fill, uh, the importance of worship, rest, joy, and, uh, joy and charity, whether it's familial, uh, cultural, social, or religious. Uh, these are the guides that Holy Mother Church gives us regarding uh, keeping the Lord's Day holy. And I want to invite our uh, Open Line Tuesday listeners live right now this hour, either to telephone in or write in. Uh, do you have any family traditions for Sundays? You know, I think of the the, the cop show, the police show, uh, Blue Bloods. Uh, every single episode has the Sunday family meal where all the family members get together and sit down and they pray grace uh, before the meal, the traditional Catholic prayer grace. So an example like that is a great one. What family traditions do you have on Sundays? Give a call and give a witness. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Jump on one of these open phone lines, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 
Got a great book at EWTN's Religious Catalog that I want to tell you about, To Love and Be Loved, A Personal Portrait of Mother Teresa by Jim Towie. Mother Teresa was one of the most admired women of the 20th century, and her memory continues to inspire charitable work around the world. Jim Towie, who is her trusted advisor and devoted friend, offers an extraordinary first-hand account of the miraculous woman behind the saint in this book. To Love and Be Loved, a personal portrait of Mother Teresa, Jim gives a first-hand account of Mother Teresa's last years as she gracefully navigates the opportunities and challenges of leadership, the perils of celebrity, and the humiliations and triumphs of aging, and he also catches her indulging in chocolate ice cream, making jokes about (laughs) miniskirts and telling the President of the United States that he's wrong. Above all, readers will see her extraordinary devotion to God and to the very poorest of his children. It's available now at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. Free standard shipping right now of online orders of $75 or more. That's standard shipping in the continental U.S. Only use code FREE at checkout. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. You know, one of the sisters... Uh, in Mother Angelica's order, uh, likes to tell the story about traveling with her once. And she was on a plane with Mother Teresa and one of her sisters. And mm. all of them were upgraded to first class complimentary. And so Mother Angelica was very uh, conscious to be as austere as she could in the presence of Mother Angelica. And, and Mother Teresa was sitting behind them and and she was kept asking the sister what Mother Teresa was doing as they brought food and what have you. And then uh, finally she said, well, well, what is she doing now after Mother Angelica had refused dessert and had refused a couple <laughs> of other things that were offered? And and uh, the sister said, well, she is elbow deep in the biggest hot fudge sundae I've ever seen. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> there you have it. There you have it. First up today is Ed in Marysville, California, listening at EWTN.com. Ed, you are on with Father Wade. Oh, I'm sorry. We're going to go to uh, Kevin first. Um, Kevin, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, uh, Father Wade. I um uh, I uh was went to a regular college and then went to about a year of graduate school and then I was I left the seminary I was scandalized my uh, priest who helped me get into inspired me to go to the seminary well he had some uh, you know issues and and another priest friend of mine had some issues and I was just dropped the and so I left seminary um and I've been still staying going to church in the last five or six years, been much more active, um, and I, I, but I've always felt the call. Um, mm-hmm. I came close to getting married a couple times, but never did. Now I'm 53, um, and I work in the church all the time now because I'm semi-retired. Okay, so is 53 too old? Is 53 too old to go back to? I mean, I don't suspect there are any orders because I'm 53. Sure, well, sure. Not, well, so so you're asking about whether or not uh, discerning for the priesthood is realistic at age 53, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say it definitely is, probably more so with the diocese, Kevin, than with the religious order. Religious orders are held bound by their constitutions, approved by the Vatican, and constitutions will have an age bracket uh, no younger than such and such an age, and no older than such and such an age. So for the Fathers of Mercy, it's 18 to 40, for example, where diocesan priesthood 
um, it would be a, a pretty much a, a case of discernment by the bishop himself once he gets to meet you and may, has you take your psychologicals, etc. I know of men uh, who have entered the priesthood in their 50s, or have at least entered the seminary aspect of their priestly studies uh, in their 50s, and they were ordained uh, in their 50s, towards the end of their 50s, or right in the early part of their 60s. So I think it's very, very realistic. Now, why would we see that more religious orders have age brackets where dioceses don't? Well, because religious orders are tied to particular apostolates, and you have to be able to do and carry out the apostolate that the religious order was founded for and has received full ecclesiastical approbation for. Um, and it, granted, doing diocesan parish work, you also want to be concerned about health and age as well, because our diocesan brothers keep very, very active as well. But I'm just simply explaining why you're going to see actual age brackets in constitutions of re men's religious orders, and women's for that matter, but not so much see it in a diocese. It would be up to the individual bishop to discern whether or not this particular candidate is a valid candidate. So I would begin to first research some dioceses. Um, you might even come across a diocese that does have an age bracket, by the way, although I don't think there, were, there would be too many of those. I th it's usually by an individual discernment on the bishop's part, as I said. Um, I would begin looking at dioceses, and then you might want to try researching uh, religious orders of men that do look at men over age 53 and discern whether they're active orders or contemplative orders. You might find a contemplative religious order of men, an order of monks, for example, with a life of prayer that would be more apt to take men over age 50 or in your case, over age 53, then uh, an active religious order like the Fathers of Mercy with a very, very active preaching apostolate that only looks at men up to age 40 uh, because of the demands of the, of the missionary traveling, etc. So I think you should look at some dioceses, inquire with some dioceses, maybe begin with your own home diocese or neighboring dioceses if you like the geographical location that you're living in. Look at your actual diocese that you're in right now that you're living in or neighboring dioceses that aren't too far away. And also research some religious Order, especially the contemplative ones that may not have such a stringent uh, age bracket and would be willing to look at men over age 50. So uh, you ask a great, great question that hopefully serves as a witness question to other men out there and women who maybe are over age 50 who are discerning or want to discern uh, uh, a possible religious vocation uh, with men, either with a diocese or a religious order, active or contemplative, and with the women, uh, a, a religious order, either active or contemplative. Does that kind of help you out? Yes, it does. Great, Kevin. Kevin, thank you so much for your call today from St. Louis, and we hope you remain a regular listener of Open Line Tuesday. Thank you so much. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. You know, this morning I was kind of uh, contemplating some things, Father Wade, and you know what I was thinking about? I What's thought. That? Man, it would be great during this Easter season if I had a new prayer that I could oh. break out into my into my own personal devotional time, and if if only that prayer were there. Oh, and here it is. I've got one for you. In fact, I kind of highlighted it a little bit briefly last week, and we weren't able to get to it. But uh, it's a beautiful prayer that I came across especially for the Easter season, precisely because we're focused on the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, through his Paschal mystery, his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven for each one of us. And so it's actually titled, Jack, A Prayer for the Forgotten Dead. 
a prayer for the forgotten dead during the Easter season, and I love the way it's worded. It doesn't mention holy souls, quote-unquote. It doesn't mention the souls in purgatory, quote-unquote, although it can be inferred that that's what's being referred to here. But it's just a beautiful prayer that came across a a collection of prayers that I saw recently, and I loved it so much. I actually took a, a picture with my phone of it in the document I was looking at that had multiple prayers on it, and I said, i got to bring this up on Open Line Tuesday. Listen to this. It's, it's just got beautiful wording, a prayer for the forgotten dead during the Easter season. O merciful God, take pity on those souls who have no particular friends and intercessors to recommend them to thee, who either through the negligence of those who are alive or through length of time are now forgotten by their friends and by all. Spare them, O Lord, and remember thine own mercy when others forget to appeal to it. Let not the souls which thou hast created be parted from thee, their very creator. May their souls and all the souls of the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. And that just really moved me, especially for those who have been forgotten, either through the negligence of those who are alive or through length of time, are forgotten by their friends and by all. And I think this is especially important during the Easter season, as I just said, when we're focusing on salvation and resurrection wrought to us, brought about for us by Jesus Christ, which each of us are called to attain salvation and work out our salvation, uh, Philippians 2.12. And this is so so important to remember the the faithful departed, not only during the month of November, uh, when we celebrate All Souls Day and All Saints Day, but also throughout the entire year, and I think in a special way, uh, during the uh, Easter season. So I just wanted to share that with our listeners, Jack. I think it's a beautiful prayer and wanted to bring it to everybody's attention. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada... That number is 1-205-271-2985, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And um, if you'd like to send us an email, we'd be happy to receive that as well. The email address is openline at ewtn.com. That's openline at EWTN.com. So suppose, Father Wade, that I am not 53 years old, but maybe I'm 33 years old and am in good health and am ready to take on the itinerant preaching lifestyle. Um, Where would I go to discern something like that, maybe? Well, you would begin by looking at fathersofmercy.com, our community's website, and then hopefully get in touch with Father Ken Geraci, our vocation director. Um, You know, I'm often asked, you know, what what, what are the Fathers of Mercy looking for in in men? What what is a sign of a a true Fathers of Mercy vocation? I like to tell people, you know, we Fathers of Mercy are looking for good, solid Catholic men who love their Catholic faith unabashedly so in 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 a balanced way, who are in love with our Lord Jesus Christ and His Bride, the Church, men who want to help transform, Jack, a a veritable culture of death 
into a culture of life and love by showing and giving it the mercy of God. Uh, We seek virtuous men for the fathers of mercy, men who, despite their own failings, uh, have experienced the mercy of God themselves and so are able to give that great gift to others, men who want to live joyfully uh, the evangelical counsels, the vows, that is, of poverty, chastity, and obedience, all while living and sharing a common life of prayer, work, and uh, recreation and fraternity. Uh, so what it means to be a father of mercy means a man who wants to be faithful to the church founded by Jesus Christ and to carry out this apostolate of itinerant preaching. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Tina in Denver, Colorado, and we've got plenty of time for your phone calls as well. 833-288-EWTN. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. As advertised, we're going to Tina in Denver, Colorado, listening on Ave Maria Radio Online. Tina, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Wade. Hi, everybody. Um, Can you hear me okay? Yes, Tina, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. It's important to me and my formation since I became a Catholic in 2018. And now I am a Catholic school teacher, and I love it. Um, best oh. thing ever I ever did. And EWTN, is, I listen every day, and I've just been really um, served well. Well, praise God. Very well, praise God. well, wonderful. Yeah. wonderful. Yeah. How long have you been listening um, to Open Line? How long have you been listening to Open Line? Since 2018. Oh, 2018. Okay, because you had broken up there a little bit. I thought that's what you might have said, but I, I wasn't sure. That's yeah. the year That's the year I came on the air with Open Line. Of course, the format existed before that. So thank you so much. We really appreciate that, Tina. But it wasn't the same, Father Wade. <laughs> and no. Well, thank you, Jack. <laughs> I appreciate it more, I think. Great. Much more. Um, well, especially being yeah, a teacher, so- especially being a Catholic teacher, I'm sure you appreciate it much more. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes, so much, so much. Um, and I'm a cantor now, actually. Oh, wonderful. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I love it. Um, but this past Easter, it was just kind of dawned on me. I wondered if there was any connection between Jesus um, being lost for three days, or he wasn't really lost, but his, his parents not being able to find him for three days, and then sure. the, the um, crucifixion and the resurrection. Yeah, great question. I think you're asking if there's a connection between, uh, a biblical connection, we could say, or even a theological connection between the three days of Jesus being lost uh, in the temple uh, while his parents looked for him with the sacred triduum, the the three days beginning with Holy Thursday night, the night of the arrest, uh, with the Last Supper in the upper room, all the way through uh, the Easter Vigil. Uh, Not per se there is a connection, but it doesn't mean that one couldn't have one pietistically or through piety. For example, the sorrow that that Jesus, uh, the, the, the sorrow that Mary and Joseph uh, felt during the three days of his being lost, where they did not know where he was, um, could be a foreshadowing of the sorrow that we all feel during the sacred triduum, beginning on the night of the arrest, all the way through 
um, the, the, the Vigil Mass of Easter, you know, and this is why we have the, the Tenebrae celebration with the Office of Readings and the Divine Office on Good Friday morning, and in some places, Holy Saturday morning. It brings uh, to the fore the, the sorrow and the reality of our Lord's death uh, following the, the Good Friday Passion service, especially into Saturday. Um, so the sorrow that we are called to, to acknowledge and um, understand and possibly even uh, feel in a very real way uh, with our Lord's passing uh, on the cross for us can be a, the fulfillment of the foreshadowing, a type or symbol uh, of foreshadowing of what uh, Joseph and the Blessed Mother Mary uh, uh, felt during his three days of being lost. I mean, you can have an analogous uh, pietistic connection there, but as far as one that's per se theological or one that's per se uh, biblical that I've ever heard about, that there, there isn't one. But again, I, I think you, you have good intuition there. Uh, you know, he, he, was, he was working towards the fulfillment of the Paschal Mystery, that four-event event of his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, right? Um, and, and that's what he was working toward beginning with his, his passion. And what was he working toward already as an adolescent around age 12 when he was speaking to the elders in the temple? He was fulfilling for them the passages of Scripture and, and interpreting for them different passages of Scripture uh, to the point that they were utterly amazed. So we could say that he's working towards that fulfillment at the same time during his so-called being lost, uh, which you intimated in your questioning, he wasn't so much lost as it was that just Joseph and Mary didn't know where he was at. Uh, he wasn't lost per se himself, individually, he was in the temple. Nobody knew about that, though. So they experienced his being lost, when in reality he was uh, speaking to the elders and interpreting for them passages of the law, etc. So we can say in that sense that he was also working towards the fulfillment of the Scriptures, not unlike interpreting for the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus uh, the interpretation of Scripture as he walked along with them. And then they invited him into supper uh, with them, and, and after he vanished at the breaking of the bread, one says to the other, one disciple of Emmaus says to the other, were our hearts not burning as he interpreted for us, interpreted for us all the passages of the Scriptures? So he was doing something very similar uh, as an adolescent around age 12 with the elders in the temple. And he's working towards that fulfillment literally in the Paschal Mystery, that passion, death, resurrection, ascension into heaven, um, that four-event event that we call the Paschal Mystery. So there is a connection there, uh, surely in a pietistic way, and, and even in a quasi-biblical way, when you, we look at Emmaus and see what he was doing with the two disciples as an adult, with the two disciples with Emmaus. So yeah, there, there could be a connection there, surely pietistically. So a great question and a great insight on your part, Tina. And thank you so much. Does that kind of help you out? Yeah. It, the part when he says, didn't you know I'd be about my father's work? I think he says that sure. to Mary, Mary and Joseph. And right, it, that's exactly it just, right. It, it just made me think of maybe he's hoping or he's trying to plant that seed in her that when, when this is going to happen again later, be assured I'll be, at my, I'll be about my father's work. And, and fear not, and, and thus fear not. Yeah, great point. Fantastic point. Fantastic point. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tina. 
833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. Still time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Mark is in Pacific, Missouri, listening on Covenant Radio today. Mark, welcome to the program. Thank you. What can we do for you today? Well, um, I am considering... Uh, expanding my own personal ministry by joining either the Knights of Columbus or the Sovereign Military Order of Malta. And what I'm understanding is that the Knights of Malta is actually uh, a holy order, if I'm not mistaken. I'm probably not getting that exactly right. Yeah, not a holy uh, order, not a holy order, but an order of tertiary members, like like third order type members in an actual uh, order of the church, where the Knights of Columbus is an organization. So that would be the difference. So the the Knights of Columbus, founded in 1882 by by Father Michael McGivney. Um, is is not an, an order per se, as we talk about religious orders, like the Fathers of Mercy, my own order, or the Third Order Carmelites, or the, the Third Order Dominicans, um, or the Dominicans themselves, or the Carmelites themselves. Those are orders in the Church to varying degrees. There's pontifical orders, there's orders of diocesan rite, etc., uh, etc., et th- all, all governed through canon law. Um, because there's different levels when you're first founded, and then you work your way up to be fully recognized by the Church as a, as a pontifical order, which the Fathers of Mercy are, um, but it doesn't happen immediately. Uh, the Knights of Columbus are not any of that. The Knights of Columbus are an organization. So, um, you know, they've been on the front line, charitably speaking, uh, of every war fought by the United States since the Order's founding in 1882. Uh, again, char- charitably speaking, you know, providing goods and services. So there is a natural affinity between the virtues of, of military service and the Knights of Columbus principles, we could say, um, and the order has never ever wavered in its, in its support for the armed forces. Um, but as far as being an actual military order itself, uh, it's, it is not one. Does that kind of help you out? A little bit. Uh, I know that the... Uh... Knights of Malta go back to, like, the 1100s, or at least back to the Crusades, I know that. Right, um, right. And, and that they used to have more of a um, military presence, per se. They did. Uh, they were active combatants, but now they are, um, they are more uh, humanitarian aid. That is um, correct. That is correct, okay. and they permit both laity and clerics to be members, um, and but they are still considered a type of, of order that would have the third order laity, and then even the clerics that belong to it would not be the same as a cleric belonging to, to a specific uh, hierarchical order like the Dominicans or the Carmelites. He would just have a membership in the Knights. So to help you out in discerning how the Knights of Columbus is, is differing from that model, um, you, you know, you might want to check out kofc.org, K-O-F-C, that's kofc.org for the Knights of Columbus uh, main website to help you out there. 
And as far as your discernment goes, I would I would want you to question if you were to share this with me, say as your as your priest or spiritual director or confessor, I would want you to discern what your faithfulness to daily duty involves. Are you single? Are you married? If married, do you have children? Is there the potentiality for children? What is your work week like? How many hours a week? And then you want to discern of what the requirements are for both the Knights of Columbus and the Knights of Malta to discern better what you can uh, give yourself to and give yourself more fully and freely and, and give your best at. The Knights of Columbus councils, or chapters if you will, but they're called councils, they're very, very active in their particular area of geographical location. So for if, you, if you were to become a, a Knight of Columbus, you, you can rest assured you're going to be very active in the actual geographical location you're located in. To become a Knight of Malta, you're going to be very active in overseas work and humanitarian aid overseas. Not that you would necessarily go on those trips, but you, although you could, uh, you would be behind the scenes and raising the funds and raising the aid for those uh, helps to those other countries and those other areas in need. So it, it's it's really two different apostolates. One's more local, the Knights of Columbus, one's more international. Not to say that the Knights of Columbus are not international. They surely, surely are. I'm talking about how the individual councils in a specific geographical location bears itself out with its good works and its aid to the population that it's actually in and founded in and is tied to a parish church in that specific geographical area. So there are similarities between the two, but there are also differences between the two. So hopefully that helps you out, Mark. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Give us a call at 833-288-3986. Also, if you are unable to call during the program, but you have a call question for Father Wade, you can call that same number after 4 p.m. Central Time, and you can leave a listener comment line comment or question for Father Wade. And uh, let's take a listen to one of those right now. Joe calling from Rancho Cucamonga, California. The question is for tonight's show is regarding purgatory and the difference between when do you go to heaven automatically or do you go to purgatory with the gates being closed to heaven? Okay, great question. Uh, The Catechism addresses this specifically. So purgatory is about one thing and one thing only, and that is the need to atone for temporal punishment still due for already forgiven mortal and venial sin. And for mortal sin, we know that the ordinary way for it to be forgiven is in the sacrament of confession, one of the seven sacraments. It's one of the two sacraments of healing. For venial sin, the normative way that it's forgiven is through a multiplicity of ways. One of those ways is confession. In fact, I've said before on the show that if you go to confession faithfully, regularly, once a month, chances are you'll only have venial sins to confess. It's precisely the practice of a monthly confession that's per se keeping you away from mortal sin. Other ways that mortal sins are forgiven, um, through good works, not through the works themselves, but for the charity they help foster between uh, the individual and their fellow human person. Um, The three eminent good works of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, the 14 works of mercy, seven for the body, the corporal works of mercy, seven for the soul, called the spiritual works of mercy. Uh, The penitential rite at the beginning of Mass wipes away venial sin. Um, Also, specifically with purposeful, willed intent, calling to mind your baptism in Jesus Christ while blessing yourself with holy water. 
um, wipes away venial sin. Uh, remember, venial sin doesn't uh, sever supernatural virtue, but it constricts it, where mortal sin severs it. And so we need the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of conversion, the sacrament of confession, uh, to, to um, have those mortal sins forgiven. So purgatory is about one thing and one thing only, the need to atone for temporal punishment for already forgiven mortal and venial sin that has that temporal punishment remaining still. Thereby meaning, if at the time of your earthly death, you have already atoned for that temporal punishment due to your already forgiven mortal and venial sin, there's no need to go to purgatory. Uh, another way that we can atone for the temporal punishment due to already forgiven mortal and venial sin is by embracing suffering, for example. Uh, embracing our suffering, whether it's an illness, whether it's any type of difficulty we're going through, psychological, financial, physical, whatever. Embracing suffering. Suffering is salvific. Suffering is redemptive, right? Uh, we unite our sufferings to the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, okay? So, when we confess the sin, the guilt is forgiven, but the temporal punishment remains. Why? Because sin is messy, that's why. The four categorical consequences to sin are personal, social, ecclesial, and cosmic. These are spelled out uh, in number 1469 of the Catechism, the four categorical consequences of sin. And so this is why temporal punishment remains. So absolution from the priest, for example, of mortal sin or venial sin, if you're confessing venial sin in the confessional, uh, the absolution from the priest does uh, forgive you of the guilt, but it doesn't wipe away the temporal punishment. The temporal punishment still remains, and that's why we want to atone for our temporal punishment while still living. Another way that we can atone for temporal punishment for already forgiven mortal and venial sins is to seek out plenary and partial indulgences. Uh, the next time you're at your local Catholic bookstore, or go to EWTNRC.com and purchase the book of indulgences. There's over 250 ways in that little book uh, on how to um, uh, obtain a plenary or partial indulgence, uh, and there's a beautiful section right after the Sacrament of Penance and Reconciliation, when it's discussed in the Universal Catechism, on indulgences uh, and on uh, temporal punishment. These, these two things are discussed per se right after or towards the end of, actually, uh, the section on the Sacrament of Penance and Reconciliation. And so that's important to remember that the Holy, Holy Mother Church places these two topics, indulgences and temp, the need, the need why, uh, for them, because temporal punishment remains, is right at the end of the section on the Sacrament of Penance and Reconciliation. So in the Catechism, for example, we, re we read about an indulgence. The, the indulgence is the remission before God of the temporal punishment still due to sin whose guilt has already been forgiven. A properly disposed member of the Christian faithful can obtain an indulgence under certain prescribed conditions through the help of the Church, the Bride of Christ, which, as the minister of redemption, dispenses and applies with her authority the treasury of the satisfactions of Jesus Christ from the cross and of the saints. Why and of the saints? Because the saints in heaven have already attained the crown that does not wither. So we're benefiting from their merits as well as the, the merits that Christ won for us from the cross, primarily his and secondarily from the saints in heaven. An indulgence is partial if it removes part of the temporal punishment due to sin, or it's plenary if it removes all punishment due to sin. So that's number 1471 of the Catechism, which follows right after 1469 by a few numbered paragraphs when we learn about the four categorical consequences due to sin. So I think that's very, a very important part to do some further reading 
uh, to understand the church's teaching on temporal punishment and Holy Mother Church's desire and God's desire for us to go straight to heaven when we die. You know, pur- purgatory, I like to say, is a, is a very merciful doctrine, no doubt. The holy souls in purgatory, that is to say the members of the church uh, penitent, also known as the, the members of the church suffering, uh, they are assured heaven, no doubt, once their temporal punishment has been purged, it's been atoned for, in other words, uh, no doubt about that. Um, that said, who wants to go there? God's plan A for us is to go straight to heaven when we die, right? And so I really want to urge our listeners, even those who may not be Catholic who are listening, to go to the Universal Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, universally promulgated by John Paul II in 1992. I believe the English version in the United States was available in 1993. And we read, beginning with number 1468, under a title of The Effects of This Sacrament of Confession. The Effects of the Sacrament of Confession, beginning with number 1468 all the way through the doctrine of the communion of saints, which is in reference to the members of the church triumphant in heaven, the members of the church militant still living on earth, and the members of the church suffering and purgatory, also known again as the members of the church penitent. Um, All the way through that number 1468, all the way through 1490, 1490, the catechism. That's a beautiful, beautiful section on the reality of sin, the reality of forgiveness of sin, both mortal and venial, the reality that temporal punishment remains because sin is messy and there's personal, social, and ecclesial cosmic consequences to it, and thirdly, different ways that uh, temporal punishment could be atoned for. Again, good works, not for the works themselves, I'm going to repeat that over and over, uh, but for the charity they help foster, uh, the penitential rite at Mass, embracing suffering, plenary and partial indulgences, etc. These are just some of the ways that temporal punishment is atoned for. I pray in my morning offering, every morning when I get up, I end my morning offering with, and dear blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I ask for the greatest of all graces to atone for all temporal punishment now on earth while still living, thereby attaining the greatest of all graces to enter heaven immediately upon my death. Uh, again, purgatory is a very, uh, a very merciful doctrine. Uh, that said, who wants to go there? I don't want to go there. I want to pray for the souls there, but I don't want to go there. I want to go straight to heaven when I die, and this should be uh, a, a part of our living eternity-minded, as I discuss in uh, The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell, which came out in 2017. Part of living eternity-minded, and I'm holding up the book right now for those who are watching our, our Facebook live feed, I talk about all of this that that I'm answering this question with from this caller. I discuss every bit of this in The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell. And so uh, we want to uh, live eternity-minded, and part of this living eternity-minded, or this eternity-mindedness, is wanting to go to heaven straight when we die. That, That should be our goal, right? Um, and so never, ever forget that. Never, ever forget that. Uh, thank you so much for a great question and a great call on the, uh, the importance of avoiding purgatory and how can, that, how can that be achieved. Tomorrow night, EWTN Live with Father Mitch Paquois. guest is Michael Heinlein, and they're going to talk about the life and witness of Francis Cardinal George. Uh, he was an ordained priest, of course, the consecrated Archbishop of Chicago, and made a prince of the church. Eight years after his death, he remains a model for discipleship and leadership. Check out that discussion tomorrow on EWTN Live, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio and Television. 
Olga is another first-time caller. She's in Raleigh, North Carolina, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Olga, you're on with Father Wade. Hello, Father Wade, and um, thanks to both you and, and Jack for all that you do. Uh, Father Wade, I use your morning offering every morning. I've read your and did the book study with, through Women of Grace on the Four Last Things, and I have the yes. book of, intent, of Indulgences. Um, but I have a question for you to help give me some clarity, if I may. I um, do my best every day to go to Mass and do something that will grant me, hopefully, a plenary indulgence, like saying the rosary at the church or a half hour of adoration or something that I read from the book of indulgence, maybe a good work of mercy. And I do my best to stay confessed at least on a cycle of every eight days, if not more. So my question is that I try to give all of that to the Blessed Mother. Obviously, I would love to keep all the indulgences because I need all the help I can get, but I would rather the Blessed Mother make that decision and let her free souls or help me or anybody else. Am I doing it correctly, and what would yeah, you suggest that I do better? You're asking a very de Montfort uh, question, a very de Montfortian question, based on the, the spirituality of St. Louis Marie de Montfort, where we obtained the 33-day consecration to the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, all, to, all to Jesus through Mary. Um, you can. So, so with a, an indulgence, a partial or plenary, you can apply it to yourself, still living, or you can apply, apply it to a deceased person, known or unknown to you. What you cannot do, Olga, is, is um, carry out a plenary or, or partial indulgence work for another living person. Why? Because they're still living. They, they can still merit for themselves, right? Uh, and so they, they have to work out their own salvation. But you can uh, apply it to yourself, the plenary or partial indulgence, or offer the plenary or partial indulgence for a deceased person, known or unknown to you, who is deceased. So basically what you're doing is you're giving it to the unknown person, and you're doing that specifically uh, through your de Montfort spirituality of all to Jesus through Mary, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, just out of curiosity, have you ever done the 33-day consecration, either St. Louis de Montfort's itself, the traditional formula, or the more uh, modern translation done by Father Michael Gately, who's with the Marians of the Immaculate Conception? Have you done either one of those? Every year, every year, and I do the consecration on, the, on uh, December 8th. Beautiful, beautiful. So uh, the Immaculate Conception, beautiful day to do that on, so the 33rd day. So yeah, basically you're, you're asking, can I give it to someone who I don't know, and I'm going to do it through the Blessed Mother? The, the answer is yes, because a plenary or partial indulgence can be offered for a deceased, un, a deceased person unknown to you, but you cannot apply it to another living person. Great question. Thank you so much. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? <laughs> I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners this day and always, and remain with you this day and always, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow. Until then, God bless. <laughs>